Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice. Contains God's plan for the family. Also has the truth about life and death. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Happy that you're here today. We're going to study the Bible for the next 30 minutes. Uh, if it's your first time viewer here on this TV program, uh, it's a little different than most religious TV programs. Uh, we don't tell you what we think you ought to know. We ask you what you think would like to know. So that's why the phone number and the website are on the bottom of your screen. Use those any time to get in touch with us. Uh, tell us what you'd like us to talk about. We get specific questions about a, a verse or a topic or a doctrine. Uh, we get a lot of general questions about something going on in people's lives or current events. And they say, what's the Bible have to say about that? Uh, that's the kind of things we deal with. But uh, give us a call or log on. You direct the program. I'm Steve Tandy. Next to me is Toby Levering. Hi, Toby. Hi, Steve. Jeff Martin's down there on the end. Good morning. Anchoring things, and uh, we're going to answer some of your questions as fast as we can. So that's what we do, but we always let you have one just to uh, practice your Bible knowledge. King Solomon, who were his parents? Uh, a couple of famous people in the Bible. And uh, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. King Solomon's parents. Uh, money, money, money. Jeff, we got questions mm. about money. Got a question about money. It's important. It says, a viewer wants to know, where does it say money is the root of all evil? And I'm, I'm guessing this might be a trick question. There's a common misconception here. Uh, but that particular phrase uh, never appears in the Bible. And it's from a, a commonly misquoted verse that sounds like that phrase. Uh, and it's commonly used out of context against people who uh, are, are perceived as rich. Uh, the Bible definitely has warnings when it has to do with money. Uh, but those warnings have to do with loving that money. Uh, not that the money itself is the root of all evil. Let's look at the verse that this phrase comes from. First Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So we can see here that it's not money itself. It's the love of money. And it's not the root of evil. It's a root of evil. So we need to be careful about this. Um, it's okay for a Christian to have money. Uh, but the more money that you have, the more possessions that you have, the more things you have, the more comfort that you have, which uh, for, for Americans is almost all of us, then the higher the chance that we will end up relying on these things instead of relying on God. And when these things like money and possessions take the place that belongs to God, that's called idolatry, and that's what we need to be careful of. So it's not money itself, but it's the love of money. Um, fear of losing those things can cause a believer to put wealth in a place that belongs to God. So no, money itself is not the root of all evil. And I'll say this one more time. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And that's what that verse means. All righty. Um, question about Old Testament laws and what Jesus did. The Old Testament law was an eye for an eye. Did Jesus have authority to change 
that rule. Uh, Jesus did not change that rule, really. Uh, it stayed in effect until he died on the cross, and then the whole old law was taken out of the way and uh, replaced with the new law. But uh, I think I know what the viewer is talking about, because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, brought up a lot of things that were in the old law and said, but I tell you, and explained a little bit more about them. Uh, for example, he said, you've heard it said that you're not supposed to murder. He said, I say uh, that hate is the real problem. Uh, it's not just murder, it's what's in your heart that's the problem. So he wasn't changing laws in effect, he was explaining what the real problem with them was. Now the eye for the eye thing is a little bit different. Uh, because the old law said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and <clears throat> we call it a law or a rule, it was really a limit. It was to uh, make sure that somebody didn't take vengeance beyond uh, what they had been hurt. So if somebody had been hurt in some way, uh, they could punish the other person, but not worse than they were punished themselves. So it was a limit, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount got to that, and in Matthew 5, and let's look at that, Matthew 5 verse 38, actually I got 28 wrong there, Matthew 5 38 says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, and then he went on and said, turn the other cheek, uh, don't resist evil people. So what he was saying was you don't have to pay back people for how they hurt you. Uh, you can forgive. You can take some of it. You don't have to uh, exact revenge on somebody no matter what they do. Uh, turn the other cheeks. All right. So Jesus wasn't changing an Old Testament law. He was just explaining uh, how Christians would deal with that and that uh, the, the basis for those laws. So uh, didn't change it, just explained it a little differently. Okay, a question uh, concerning a Bible verse. John twelve thirty one says Satan was cast out at the crucifixion. Now, if he was cast out, who is causing all the evil in the world? All right, uh, well, first, as we, we usually try to do when we get a question about a specific verse, is look at those verses, look at the verse, maybe a little bit of context on screen. So let's look at John twelve thirty one through 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So we understand in the context uh, that Jesus is talking about his coming death on the cross and how significant that was going to be, not just in the world that he was in, but in the scope of the eternal story uh, account of the Bible, uh, this is all of it is coming down to this moment. It is something that has you know started way back in the Garden of Eden, and uh, this plan has been was put into place, and now here's the culmination of it. And um, you know Jesus is talking to this crowd, and he's explaining why this must happen, and he says. Uh, in verse 33 says, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Okay, Satan was defeated at the cross. 
we understand that. And, you know, the, 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 how Satan had us is that God had a righteous requirement of the law and nobody could keep that perfectly. So here was Jesus who lived perfect life and then atoned, his, his death atoned for our sin. Uh, his death paid the price, it paid the debt that we owed by virtue of our sin. And so in this moment, uh, everything that Satan has held against all human beings uh, from Adam forward is going to be done away with. All those debts are going to be paid uh, for those who have had faith in Christ. Uh, evil and sin, of course, still is going to happen. We know that. We, we, it doesn't take too long to watch the news to see that evil still uh, happens. But uh, Christ and those who are in Christ are ultimately going to win. I like how one translation puts, the, puts John 12, 31. It says, uh, it, uh, Satan will be driven out. And so that's the, that maybe gives us another picture that you know, I don't think he's saying at the cross immediately all evil will be vanquished and Satan and his influence in the world will be done away with. But the cross is the point where we see uh, the, the, the tide begin to change and the battle between good and evil really is won there at the cross and Satan's end is already now going to happen. It's just a matter of time. So um, for this temporary time, we're still going to have evil and sin, but ultimately Satan has been and will be defeated. Let's look at Colossians 2, uh, verses 14 and 15. Paul writes, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, these he set aside, nailing it to the cross. An old law and everything Satan had against us all was nailed to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It was this moment, the death and then the resurrection, where Jesus paid for sin, conquered death, where Satan was effectively disarmed, and he is now in the process of being driven out. And someday, of course, we know uh, that there will be an ultimate victory on the day of the Lord. So that's what we're talking about. You have to think a little bit, put some scriptures together to get there, but uh, that's that's what John 12, 31 is saying to us. All right. We've got a lot of viewers that are serious Bible students. We know that. Uh, every once in a while we'll uh, slip up and say something a little bit wrong and we usually get caught on it. So we've got a lot of folks that really know their Bible and we appreciate them. But we've also got a lot of viewers that uh, are kind of new to the Bible, uh, learning some of the first things they know about the Bible here on this program. And some of them might want to be a little bit better Bible student. Uh, we realize that it's hard to get started in Bible study, and because of that, we've come up with uh, some tools that uh, we offer to you free of charge. If you want to study the Bible, here are some good ways to do it. Uh, for instance, this first course we've got is just eight lessons. starts with the Old Testament, the New Testament, and uh, just gives you a good overview of the Bible. Uh, you'll know a lot more about the whole Bible and what's in it uh, when you get done with this. Once you get through with that course, uh, you graduate and you can go on to some other courses if you want. don't have to, but you can. And uh, these get into more details. You'll spend a number of weeks studying about the life of Jesus in one of them. So a little more detailed, 
Uh, like I said, absolutely free. We pay the postage both ways. Just a good way to study the Bible. If you'd like to do it online, we know we got a lot of folks that uh, prefer to do things that way these days. Here's a way to do that. Oneway.worldbibleschool.org. Just log on there. They'll ask you a few questions and get your contact information, and uh, you can start studying the Bible with uh, some online tools. Uh, be an online helper that will help you get through those, and uh, just a good, easy way to study the Bible. So, phone number, website on the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime. Let us know what you'd like a free course, and we'll get it started for you. All right. I got a question that, that proves why a correspondence course is so important. A viewer wants to know, is infant baptism real baptism? And the Bible has a lot to say about baptism. Um, and nowhere does it talk about infant baptism. Now, uh, at some point, people read the phrase the phrases that say the whole household was baptized. They assumed that that meant infants, and so they started the practice of baptizing infants. Uh, which is a, a pretty huge leap, biblically speaking. And we read when we read the other verses about baptism, we can see why. Uh, now, I will say that infant baptism might be a, an, an interesting way for some people to dedicate uh, their baby to God, and I, I don't think it's necessarily an evil thing, but biblical baptism is very clear how it should be done and who it's for. So let's look at a verse that will help us understand. Acts 2, 37 through 38. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first gospel lesson, and they've asked the question, What do we, knew, what do we need to do? And Peter answers, so let's break this down a little bit based on the viewer's question. First of all, it says, when the people heard, they were cut to the heart. And another, another word to describe that phrase, cut to the heart, would be they were convicted. Uh, and if they were convicted, it means that they must have understood. Uh, and conviction and understanding is not something that an infant can do. Uh, the verse goes on to say that they asked the question, what shall we do? Uh, which means that they had the ability to, again, understand that conviction and ask questions based on that conviction, which, again, is something that infants can't do. Uh, lastly, infant baptism, again, is found nowhere in the Bible. Uh, it's a tradition of men. And uh, again, maybe some of, our fam some of your families take part in this, uh, but by no means is infant baptism the water baptism for the remission of sins that the Bible talks about. All righty. Question about uh, Job. Somebody says, Job 14, verses 1 and 2, uh, sound depressing. Well, let's just see if they are. Let's read Job chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Job says, man is born of a woman, is a few days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and he withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. Well, Viewer's right. That's pretty depressing. <laughs> uh, if you read the book of Job, you understand why Job sounds kind of depressed. Uh, he was depressed. Uh, Job had had a hard old time. Uh, Job had lost everything. Satan had tested him, and uh, with God's approval, he had lost everything of any value in his life, it seemed. And he had some 
friends that were trying to console him and they were talking about this and trying to figure out why this happened to Job. Job was trying to figure out why this happened to me. Uh, And here in chapter 14 he says, you know, what's life? A man comes and he just withers and dies and he's gone. And uh, What's the point? Uh, If you read on into Job, you'll find more depressing things. Uh, However, uh, God finally answers him and basically says, you don't understand. Uh, You're not smart enough to understand what I'm doing. And he recounts how he created the world and all that. And when he's done, Job says this in Job chapter 42. Uh, He said, surely I spoke of things I did not understand things too wonderful for me to know. Uh, So Job, uh, in the end, comes around and says, all right, God's got this. I don't understand it, but God's in control, and uh, I shouldn't have questioned him. So the book of Job overall is quite a lesson, but our viewer's right. Right here, Job was depressed and uh, sounded depressed. And I might just add that there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, God's people uh, get down sometimes. They doubt. They don't understand. And in those times, it's all right to question God. Say, what is going on here? Uh, Elijah, at one point, uh, gave up. He said, I'm ready to die. He said, this, this just didn't work. Uh, and God comforted him and consoled him and got him back into action. So uh, God's people do that occasionally. And uh, in Job chapter 14, Job is certainly uh, feeling pretty down right then. Okay. Uh, viewer asks, um I often finish last, it seems. Let's talk about a depressing question. Uh, Does Matthew 20.16 mean I will finish first when I get to heaven? Uh, Well, I I don't know about that. Um, A lot of times when we phrase or a verse in the Bible... Our number one answer is just a little more context helps us understand. So Matthew 20:16 is the verse you referenced, and here's what it says. So the last will be first, and the first will and the first last. So what does that mean? <laughs> well, if we back out and read just a little bit farther, uh, Jesus is uh, Matthew includes this uh, saying of Jesus at the end of his. <clears throat> parable of what we call the the workers, the laborers in the vineyard. And the story is a master who owns a vineyard. He hires these day laborers and he hires some early in the day and they work through the whole day. And as he goes throughout the day, he hires more and more workers. And at the end of the day, he pays those who came in at the very last, he pays them first. He pays them uh, uh in their wage, and the uh, they as they receive that, uh, the workers who've been there all day see how much they've been paid, uh, and they say, "Wow, well, we're going to get even more because we've been here through the heat of the day and since the early morning." And that seems fair and equitable and just. Uh, however, the master pays all the workers the same, regardless of how long they've been working in the vineyard. So it doesn't quite seem fair and equitable. I think the point he's making is that uh, with the ultimate, you know, he says the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he's talking about the way uh, things are going to work in the eternal sense. And he's going to say there are people who are going to be working in the vineyard, the idea of working in the kingdom, and they do that their whole lives. And 
bring a lot of harvest in, bring a lot of people to Jesus, do a lot of good, and so forth. Uh, and they're going to be rewarded in the same eternal sense as the person who comes to Christ in just in the very last few days or weeks of his life. Um, and so that doesn't quite seem fair, but the point is the, the, the generosity of the master. He's generous to everyone, and the, the gen, ultimate generosity he shows us is in Christ. So the victory in Christ is what he's referring to. I don't think this has implications for uh, if we're last in life, we'll be first in the next life, or we're low position in this life, we'll be in a better position than in the life to come or anything like that. I think that's reading far too much into the parable. I just think Jesus is giving a truism um, and explaining that there are going to be people that are a part of the kingdom in different ways. Some will be a part all their life nearly on earth uh, we know that's true some people some of you watching you know basically born and raised in the church grew up in the church maybe serve in church capacity and go on missions and do good things and some people uh, you're watching right now and you haven't even made the decision to put on Christ in baptism you haven't even started your journey yet you'll do that later in your life um, and Jesus is just telling that to remind us that um, there will be people that come to Christ at all different ages and stages <clears throat> if that helps you all right, let me invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. The uh, Churches of Christ keep us on the air. The uh, Churches of Christ produce this program, so we like to mention some of our partners every once in a while. And here's a couple of Western Kansas, Great Bend and Scott City. Both have uh, great congregations of the Church of Christ, and I know that uh, you'd be warmly welcomed if you're looking for a church home. But uh, even if you're not looking for a church home, maybe you know some uh, member at one of these congregations out in uh, western Kansas. Uh, tell them you watch Know Your Bible. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. And thank them for keeping us on the air. Whatever viewing and market you're in, uh, there's probably a Church of Christ close to you, and we invite you to uh, tell them the same thing. Or check them out. Drop in and visit. Uh, tell them you heard about them here. Uh, you'll find a group of people that study and think about the Bible a lot like we do here on this program and uh, be be a good good church to visit. So visit the Church of Christ sometime. All right, Jeff, from ages. Yes, <laughs> a definition question. A viewer wants to know, uh, explain, or says, explain what is meant by the ages, patriarchal, Jewish, and Christian. Uh, and simply put, because we could get into this quite a bit, but these terms relate to historical periods in the Bible uh, that are each separated by large events that changed the landscape for followers of God. Uh, the patriarchal age goes from the Garden of Eden to the Jews crossing the Red Sea and being released from captivity. And that, that was the beginnings when God actually spoke directly to uh, the fathers. The Jewish age, which is contained in the Mosaic age, began from Moses on Mount Sinai, bringing down the, the Ten Commandments, so the beginning of the law, all the way through the birth and life of Christ. So within that time period, we had the law, the judges, the kings, and the prophets. And in both of these ages, God's people failed over and over, uh, which is what makes the Christian age so important. Uh, that's the most important transition and that began with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ until our present time. So we are living in the Christian age uh, when Christ came and fulfilled the law 
and freed us from sin and offered eternal salvation through Christ. Um, these ages are important because when you're reading the Bible, you need to know at, at what point, uh, at what age the text that you're reading came from. Um, right now in this present age, we have no condemnation because of Christ, and that wasn't the same for the followers of the patriarchal and Mosaic age. So let's look at a verse that speaks to this quickly. Uh, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Um, we are blessed to live in the Christian age because of the sacrifice of Christ. But those terms, again, are simply historical markers that show different time periods for followers of God. All righty. Thank you, Jeff. And that uh, understanding those ages helps us understand how God communicated with mm -hmm. with people. And uh, it's different in each age. Yeah. So that's one part of our correspondence course, I think, probably mm -hmm. helps people understand, okay, here's how God deals with people at different times. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get one more in here. Judges 16.7 says, Samson was bound with seven green whiz. What are whiz? Well, first of all, it's a hard word to say, but uh, <laughs> you can find that. Uh, here's a good example of uh, a, a verse that if you uh, have a number of different translations, or if you have a computer, just go to uh, uh, Bible Gateway and look at different translations. And in King James, it says green whiz. In ESV, it says fresh bowstrings. And the NAS says fresh animal tendons. All right. Uh, another translation says thongs, I think. But uh, from that, you can figure out, okay, here's what Samson was talking about. Uh, Whiz were uh, bowstrings. Uh, they were made out of animal tendons. Uh, fresh ones or green ones were ones that were not dried yet, so they were more flexible. Uh, of course, the story is that Delilah was trying to find out where Samson's strength was, and she was asking him, and the first thing he told her was, well, if you tie me up with some green, fresh bowstrings, uh, animal tendons, that'll stop me. I won't have any strength. Uh, well, he was messing with her, and uh, he could break that easily. And then he did three or four other uh, false stories like that before he finally broke down and uh, confessed that if he broke his Nazarite vow by having his hair cut, uh, that he would, God would take his strength away from him. So that's what whiz are, is just uh, animal tendons that they used for bowstrings. Uh, today we have more modern materials, but that's what they used back then. So a uh, little bit of Bible trivia there for you. All right, well, let's make sure we get our real trivia question answered today. And it is about King Solomon's parents, uh, kind of an infamous pairing here. And it was King David and Bathsheba, the one that he had an adulterous relationship with and lost their first son. And then later was Solomon was born to David <coughs> and Bathsheba had all sorts of problems in that family from from then on, but that's who his parents were. Uh, we're glad you've been with us today, and uh, if you haven't signed up for that correspondence course, today would be a good day to do that, or log on and get the online one. We'd like to get it started for you and help you study the Bible. 
We're going to be back next week and hope you join us then. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.